0: This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL.
1: Right now, a topic to find out more about is cookies. Not carrot cake Oreos. Not anything done by the Keebler Elves. Fudgios. What are the ones with the the marshmallow and the the stuff? And we've talked cookies before with this man, Dr. Thomas Cook. Oh, it's only fitting that he is who we get to talk about this topic with. Dr. Cook is with Queen's University, where he is a Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada postdoctoral fellow at the Surveillance Studies Center. Dr. Cook, how are things?
0: Great. You've got me thinking about um, delicious cookies now, Mike.
1: So this is a good. Do you have start a favorite.
0: Do I have a favorite cookie? Um, to be honest with you, the the white macadamia ones that uh, Subway makes.
1: Yes. Right? Yes. Goodness. Those show up good. other places too. I don't know. Does Subway have the best kind of that collection? Because so you can get those, I think at Tim Hortons, yeah. you can get them. Sometimes they're just in a basket somewhere that you go. Remember when we used to go places and they, the cookies used to be in baskets and you just could, like a hotel, and you could just you know, have one? Oh, that's good. You, you know you're in the right hotel when they're offering up cookies at the end of the day. I think it's Fairfield Inn in the U.S. that does that. Come on, Fairfield Inn. Dr. Cook, let's talk about cookies of a different sort. Let's even understand cookies from an Internet level, because there is something that we need to know about. But first, I don't know that we truly understand this. They've just become this little message that hops up on our phones or our tablets or our computer screens, and it says, "Will you accept cookies from this website, and you have to say yes, or you can't use the website. What are we actually doing there when we say yes? Because I'm dumb enough to usually say yes. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, cookies are data files I, I know it's a very simple explanation but I, it, it's important to to understand that they're liter- literally just files and, and what I mean by that Mike more specifically are, are very very small files if you could open them up into a text editor on you know Windows, you can't do that by the way because they're encrypted of course <laughs> you would see a string of random numbers and letters with, with commas separating different groups of variables and, and that Kind of string is what the cookie produces by virtue of, you know, indicating the web, uh, giving a suggestion to a web browser um, to record mouse movements or what links you click on or what website you visited before you arrived at where you are and the next website you visit thereafter. So all of that information is stored in this very strange hexadecimal looking string of data that you can't open up onto a file and it stores that file onto your smartphone, your tablet, or your computer. And um, that tiny file, Mike, thousands of them over and over and over again on your devices are basically what makes uh, targeted advertising a reality in uh in the brave new 21st century.
1: (laughs) So they're a thing, they exist, they've existed for a long, long time. Couldn't we go back years and years and years and the same kind of thing still was there, was it not?
0: Yeah, cookies have actually existed since the beginning of the Internet. Um, The World Wide Web Consortium of folks who were trying to think of different ways to make the Internet useful stumbled upon um, an innovation that was built by people who were trying to create the earliest version of, uh, we'll call it eBay, e-commerce. So a website where you could go on, um, purchase a product, and have it sent to your door. Th- these kind of concepts were do- being developed between 1994 and 96. And so the problem, like in the mid-90s, is that the amount of traffic, internet traffic, that yeah. would you know, end up on a server hosting this e-commerce platform would be absolutely mind-boggling. In the mid-90s, it it was a crazy idea to have tens of of thousands of people visiting a website every minute in order to purchase something online. And so the way that those companies found a, a way to stop the burden of the load on their server, so to speak, was to stop collecting data about those visits. It might not seem like significant data, but when you, for example, load up ebay you have to log in you store your password you store your email address the session information is stored so what things you clicked on whether or not you loaded something into a checkout cart all that information would be stored in the server cookies were created to take that information off the server and put it on your device so if, if the customer or the visitor stores some of that information it will supposedly reduce server strain and information overload on the website, so that's what cookies were initially used for. Uh, but they've been they sounds so good since. Well, they sound great and they sound yeah. delicious. I mean, if, you, if you're in the private
1: <laughs> sector, that's an excellent
0: remedy, is it not?
1: But yeah, it, it sped everything up, and now now there's more of a question to it. Okay, then let's talk about Google because mm-hmm. Google has something new, uh, something new that we could call not a cookie, but could we call it flock? <laughs>
0: Yes, like everything else that is soft and enticing, uh, when it comes to internet technologies these days, instead of cookies and clouds, we are now flocks. That's an abbreviation. The the spelling of the abbreviation, Mike, is F L O C. Okay, and flocks stands for. You ready for this one? Ready. Federated learning
1: of cohorts. Of course it does. Why would yeah. it stand for anything else? I don't even know how to put those words together. So, okay. But essentially, is this a similar thing to a cookie?
0: It's it's a similar technique. When I was describing the cookie process of offloading information onto customers' devices to help companies avoid server strain, what they had actually done is engineered a new way of tracking people. So what ended up happening in the late 90s and the early 2000s with those those cookies, Mike, was that instead of having um, you know, mandatory session information stored on those cookies, you'd end up storing information, as I alluded to earlier, like where your mouse moves, what websites you visit. If you can imagine storing personal information or anonymized information inside of those, those cookies, then what companies like Facebook and eBay can do is retrieve those cookies remotely the next time you open up their app or visit their website. So you take all the stored personal data and you upload it to the server so it can be analyzed later. Flock wants to get rid of the cookie and use algorithms that will build models of who we are depending upon our group set behavior. So the characteristics of, like, for example, football players, or the characteristic behavior of people like professors. So instead of collecting information through cookies on individual people, Google wants to get rid of cookies, use algorithms in their cloud that will monitor our browsing behavior, build collective IDs, and group us according to who Google thinks that we are. And, of course, the benefit for Google is if they go back to the advertisers and say, hey, we pioneered a new way of tracking people. And what we're going to do is we're going to group people based upon their, their group categorical interests from football players, professors, and so on.
1: We are talking with Dr. Thomas Cook, Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, postdoctoral fellow at the Surveillance Studies Center at Queen's University. Dr. Cook, anyone who has heard you speak at any length has heard you talk about our digital double, where... You might want to think that, no, 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 I just, I just go to certain places on the internet. I, I just use it to keep track of, you know, whether it's shopping or, you know, friends or I, I don't really use it that much, but you create a digital double. Is this basically making use of our digital double to group that together with other similar digital doubles, and then get this information to advertisers?
0: Sort of. You're close, Mike. I, I, I think if I could pinpoint it a little bit more precisely. The goal of Flock is to get rid of individualized targeting of ads, but keep targeting as a primary advertising, advertising mechanism online. But instead of going after individuals, you would be advertising to cohorts. So why would Google do this? If there's already a billion-dollar industry invested in cookies worldwide, why would they want to switch? There's been a lot of pressure on companies like Facebook and Google to stop with their individualized targeting of, of, of everyday people because it's highly invasive, it's dangerous, there are a lot of harms here, a lot of discrimination. And voter suppression, for example, as we've seen in the last four years in the U.S., happens through targeted advertising. So instead of going after individuals, they say we're going to bring privacy back to the world by targeting groups of people instead of individuals. It's still targeted advertising, but it's assuming that there's going to be more privacy by looking at groups of people instead of everyday individuals.
1: Hmm. So is this Google just trying to look good to us so that they can make a big announcement and say, here's what we're doing, (laughs) we're not targeting individuals. But they're still doing the same thing?
0: I think so. The Electronic Frontier Foundation is something else I've I've mentioned quite a bit. And I'm sorry I didn't touch on the data double bit um, directly. I'll come back to that if we have time. But the EFF made a really, really great point. When dealing with a company that is responsible for pioneering previously the most invasive tracking and targeting technology ever conceived, why should we with open arms accept their new proposal that is still about targeted advertising. It doesn't matter if it's individuals. In a lot of ways, groups is even more dangerous. So is there a solution to this? Yes, absolutely. It hasn't been that long that I recently watched another season of Mad Men. I don't quite understand why marketing and advertising can't just be done without having to scrape together as much information about people as possible. And so when we were talking about the data double, as I have spoken about indeed in the past, it's a reflection of who you are, but in the cloud, through all available data and information digitally speaking about you. We suppose theoretically in the academy that there is some sort of digital mirror of you somewhere on the internet maybe in multiple places, and that data double is dangerous because you don't know what it's made up of and you don't know how it's speaking and acting and no- negotiating on your behalf. A lot of money is invested in creating these things. So I don't see how Flock is going to help with the, the privacy dangers associated with data doubles, but even more importantly to the uh, EFF's point, Mike, is that what Flock is probably going to end up doing is making discrimination even worse than it already is and that's something that I think we need to be paying attention to
1: well thank you for bringing us the attention of Flock federated learning of cohorts being put together by Google and I know we'll be talking about it again Dr. Cook thanks so much for the time today hey my
0: pleasure take care London
1: it is Nurses Week National Nurses Week and We can sit here and we can say thank you, and we should. If you know someone who's involved in nursing, please thank them for what they always do, but certainly for the last 14-plus months. But sometimes there will be more than a thank you. And if you look at going above and beyond, well, our next guest is helping to make that happen. Joining us right now is Robin Dufton on London Live. Robin, how are things? I'm good, how are you? Not too bad. We are in National Nurses Week. When you look back a few weeks ago, something got going and it was in support of what nurses are doing and now it's it's kind of coinciding nicely with National Nurses Week. Take us back back in time. What was happening?
2: Um, you know, I, my sister herself is a frontline worker. She is a nurse up at Vic Um and my interactions with her allowed me to hear firsthand um, what the pandemic is actually, how it's actually affecting our frontline workers. And honestly, we just I just wanted to help. I wanted to be able to do something just to bring a little joy to their lives and maybe just help give them a little bit of stress relief for one day, even if that's all we could do.
1: Well, we'll talk about what you have done and what others have joined in in helping. But, Robin, help us to understand, how, how is life going right now for frontline workers?
2: It's stressful. I mean, day to day, they don't know really what to expect, um, where they're running out of supplies, where they're running out of equipment and having to make awful choices that you and I probably will never have to make. Um, so it's very stressful for them.
1: When you look at the idea that vaccines are here, we have seen some vaccinated, but we even see some frontline healthcare workers that haven't had both vaccinations, and yet they're still getting up, they're still going to work, aren't they?
2: Every day, every day, yep.
1: And the breaks, the holidays, the vacations, uh, would you say those really haven't been all that plentiful in your sister's life?
2: Uh, not at all. I mean, we've missed holidays birthdays um you barely see family members now um and we we understand we completely get why we can't but it's definitely difficult
1: well that means you have done something to just say hey we all appreciate (laughs) this robin dufton joining us robin tell us a little bit more about what you have put together and then some of the help you've had along the way
2: um so we wanted to come up with an idea just to send out some little care packages to the nurse and not the nurses and not just the nurses um just the frontline care workers in general um so we were trying to think of different ideas of what we could purchase to help like help them relax so we did bath bombs from magpie and other businesses uh, but then it kind of started to spiral We went from doing two care packages to five, and then from five, we actually created 133 packages in total. Um, We were able to reach out to small business owners across the city and surrounding area, and they actually contributed and donated different items to help us fill these care packages.
1: This is such a remarkable story for that reason. The (laughs) idea that small business owners have been going through as tough a time as it gets in terms of their businesses, and, and you call them. And and what were you hearing back from them?
2: People were wanting to help out and give what they can, whether it was from 10 items or we had one woman who works with Epicure and she gave us enough to fill 125 bags. So we had a wide range of items and amounts from different people, but they all just wanted to help some way that they could.
1: We're talking with Robin Dufton. Robin, what was it like to watch this unfold? Like you say, you went from two to five to now 133.
2: It was pretty amazing. It's kind of fun. The kids loved it. Um, We have four girls ourselves, and they loved being able to help and put them together, and they just it just spiraled, and it just made us feel good about it. It just allowed us to be able to do something to help them.
1: So what happens next?
2: Um, Hopefully, if not this week on Saturday, we'll head over to the hospital, and one of the nurses there, or hopefully a couple of them, will meet us and just take them into the unit. Um, We chose the critical care trauma center this time around um, just because we know that they are dealing with the hardest of the hardest cases and we had to pick somewhere to start. So that's what we chose. So they will just go into the hospital from there.
1: Well, this is outstanding. Thank you for your generosity. Please thank everybody else for their Um, generosity because this, uh, this has taken a lot of hands to make, but in the end, this is going to make a lot of smiles at the top of those hands.
2: Yeah, before you kick me off there, Ken, I just wanted to say a thank you, too, as well, to the kids at the Bonaventure Public School. Sorry, they um, took time, actually drew and colored and wrote thank you cards, and each of the package does have a thank you card from the kids in them.
1: Come on, that's a great <laughs> idea.
2: Yeah, it's it's amazing what the kids were able to do. We even had family friends with their kids make cards as well, so we have had quite the collaboration of cards to go in.
1: This just keeps getting better. <laughs> Well, Robin, we really appreciate what you've done, and thanks so much for describing it for us. And uh, please keep safe, and let us know when you've made those deliveries, because it would be great to talk to somebody on the other end. Absolutely. Take care of yourself.
2: Thank you. You as well. Bye.
1: That's Robin Dufton. Robin, whose sister is a frontline worker, and she thought, well, what can we do? What can we do? How about if we put together some nice little care packages? And then you think, well, how are we going to build these care packages? Think about that. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking more about small business. Devin Peacock was talking with a small business earlier today in the city. And he's going to be talking more. We're going to be talking more on London Live just to kind of see how things are going. Because there are a lot of small businesses who are being told that, Yeah, well, you don't qualify for this. Or you don't qualify for all that you thought you were going to qualify for. And it becomes very frustrating for a lot of businesses. Think about that. You're going through, you've been going through 14 months. And all you're trying to do is hang on. And now, well... Where where do you go next? You you look for the government help, and you keep trying to hang on. Devin was talking with Jean Coles, who owns three sports clips in London, and she was describing some of the the difficulties that she's had. So we're going to follow up with Julie Kwasinski from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. We talked with Julie a couple of weeks ago, and we said, we've got to check back. We've got to find out if anything has changed in a couple of weeks. So that's what we're going to do. I fear that the answer is No. Um but the call had been there from Julie to say, hey, we've got to get things moving a little more quickly. We've got, whether it's federal programs or provincial programs, and there's a lot to get through, and not everybody is qualifying, and and so you you're getting zero help and still trying to make it in a time when you owe rent and you're not getting business or you're not getting the same kind of business. Look at that story right there. Look at what Robin says. Robin reaches out to small businesses and they're donating some of their stuff so that they can make somebody's day. That's I that's the kind of thing you look at and you go, "Come on, that's not happening. That's not real." That's real. That's amazing. Man, we live in a good community. Let's talk about something that is going to be here and is absolutely outstanding. If you are born right now between, say, middle of, end of March and today, May the 10th, and you have celebrated a birthday, you've had not one... But two pandemic birthdays. How many people can say that they've had two pandemic birthdays? Probably not something you ever thought. Certainly something you never really wanted. Last year we had a lot of the honk buys, where you'd set up lines of cars and they drive by and honk at somebody. And I think you you left gifts at the end of the driveway, did you? Or maybe there weren't gifts. But we got creative this year. Well, this year there's somebody in London who is getting especially creative, and it will not necessarily involve a honk by, although that might be something that happens at a different point in the day, but we are lucky enough to have with us right now uh, somebody who has done something completely different because she is turning her own birthday celebration into something that's going to benefit everybody else. Please welcome to London Live, Ling Ramos. Ling, thanks so much for being here
3: hi Mike
1: it is amazing to speak with you Uh, first off let's let's talk a little bit just to get some background about you and how you got to London how did it
3: happen yes so um, actually Mike I'm a first-generation immigrant from the Philippines Um, it was my mom that first came to Canada with a working permit and after a few years she became a permanent resident and sponsored the rest of the family. And it was um, like September of 2010 when we moved to Canada. I was 14 years old at that time, and I have been living in London, Ontario ever since.
1: So help us out. What was it like to move from the Philippines to London? Was it very, very different? Not much different? How would you describe it?
3: Well, I would say it is different, especially at my age. As a 14 years old, I already, as a teenager, I already built my life back home. I have friends. I love my school. And moving to a different country where there's a lot of unfamiliarity was very difficult. And on top of that, there's also the language barrier, right? So it, has been, it was very difficult at that time, but um, I did a lot of... Um, I I, I, I did push myself to, to get myself out of the comfort zone, learn the language by volunteering, actually. So I, I, uh, I signed up to a lot of volunteer and other activities that are available outside of, uh, outside of school. And, um, it really helped me to, to develop so many skills that takes me where I am right now.
1: How great is that? Because so many yeah. times you hear, okay, if you move to a different country, here's some ideas, watch some movies, uh, you know, watch a lot of TV. Eventually you'll st- make sure that you're using the language. Volunteering. That's fantastic. Okay, well, we'll talk more about that in just a minute because you're about to turn 25 now. Here we are, 11 years after you wind up moving to London, Ontario. And so you're turning 25, end of this month, and you've decided to do something for your birthday what is that
3: yeah well my this birthday project started as actually as a personal goal of mine to run 25 kilometers in dedication for my 25th birthday and there was no fundraiser involved but then um it happened that i'm part of a fundraiser committee at work and i attended a meeting discussing and brainstorming fundraising events for united way and it was very challenging to come up with ideas, given with all of the all of the restrictions in place due to COVID-19, right? And my my experience at work really hit me because I couldn't even begin to imagine how difficult it has been for many of our local nonprofit organizations to raise funds during the pandemic. So, like many of these organizations, rely heavily on the support from the community and the fundraising events that the, they organized throughout the year in order to um, continue to operate and deliver their programs where many of the people in London access to. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, many of these events were, if not canceled, it was done virtually, which often resulted in less attendees, which means less funds. And that's where my fundraiser <laughs> was born. I was able to recognize the struggles many of these organizations are facing due to the closures and COVID restrictions. And um, it's just motivated and inspired me to celebrate my birthday differently this year by challenging myself with a 25-kilometer run and a bike throughout Thames Valley Parkway Trail while raising funds and awareness to four of my chosen charities, which are Lusso, Crime Stopper, Anova, and 519 Pursuit.
1: Great stuff. We're talking with Ling Ramos. Ling <laughs> moved to London in 2010 at the age of 14 and has been one of our strongest volunteers in this city for many years and is now using her 25th birthday to celebrate and help out fundraising for nonprofit organizations, four of them that Ling just mentioned in order to give them that helping hand that they really haven't had over the last little while. Uh, can you talk about some of the organizations you volunteered with, and maybe why you chose to volunteer with them?
3: Yeah, okay. So, um, well, I'm currently volunteering with Crime Stoppers, uh, ANOVA, and about to partake in an opportunity to volunteer with 5 and 9 Pursuit, and, um, like, prior to like when i was at uh at school i used to do a lot of volunteering at school and when i graduated i volunteered at lusso food bank and other places and i chose to volunteer with their with this organization because i realized that between life and social life i was only exposed to a smaller portion of the london community and it was through volunteering that i had the opportunity to expand my experience and knowledge working directly with unique population while g- giving back to the London community.
1: Outstanding. Now, mm-hmm. in terms of, of the actual volunteerism and, and being involved, you mentioned it exposes you to more of the community. Is there anything else that keeps you coming back, that keeps you wanting to volunteer?
3: Yeah, well... um I always say, right, that volunteering comes in many forms and if you don't have if you don't have the means to donate you can spend your free time helping the general needs of the organization, even as simple as raising awareness, participating in charity events or doing your own fundraiser in support to our local organization. Well, Mike, I volunteer because it is so good for my heart and soul and as cheesy as it sounds, volunteering plays a vital role in who I am right now and how I see the world. And I can't stress enough the importance of volunteering because that's not only allow individuals to develop and improve skills and networks, but to me, it taught me life and opened me to the reality of life through my interactions with other people and by listening to their stories. And this is the whole reason why I keep coming back. I get new stories and new experience all the time. And these are enough to fill me up and brighten my day.
1: Ling Ramos, okay, joining us birthday. Ling. Yeah, Ling is going to run 25 kilometers and then follow that up with a bike ride. Give us the details on your fundraiser. If someone wanted to help you out, what would they do?
3: Yes. Yeah, so um, I don't know if you could share my my GoFundMe page, my but um, yes, they can definitely read more about my fundraiser by um, visiting my um, GoFundMe page it's called Ling's journey to 25 and there they can read more about uh, my fundraiser and why i do what i do um and yeah hopefully like if 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 they cannot donate they can always share my um my gofundme and hopefully we can encourage people to support these organizations that do great things in our community
1: ling's journey to 25 on gofundme well ling Thank you so much for what you do in this community. It is phenomenal to just to hear the stories and, and the passion that you have for volunteering. Because like you say, even if you can't afford to donate time, we got a lot of time right now, that's for sure. And okay. uh, you've been putting it to good use for a long, long time. Ling, best of luck with, uh, with the run. How's the training coming?
3: Oh, it's coming along, Mike. I actually um, hurt myself a little bit, but I'm taking the rest. I'm taking all the rest that I need, and hopefully I'm ready to come back today. But it's going well. It's going well. Good <laughs> stuff. And what is
1: what is your birthday? What What's the date of the event?
3: Actually, the, um, I my actual birthday is on May 31st, but I chose to do the event on May 30th because it, it happens to be a Sunday where a lot of people – off work and many of my friends and family wants to support me so um, I, I'm doing it on the weekend and it's funny that you asked that you asked that Mike because I also get a lot of attention from people and they're offering um, like they're offering like a first like a first aid medic car where they just follow me and act as a, um, a medic car so in case I hurt myself as well as they're Um, suggesting that how about we make this event as a community event where um, other London residents can join me but on a different time or in a different place, but they can just join me on spirit or virtually or whatever means they can do it.
1: Great stuff. Ling, it's been amazing meeting you. Keep being you, and thanks for the time. Keep safe.
3: You too, Mike. Have a good day.
1: Uh, That's Ling Ramos. And how, what a what a great thing, You you come to a brand new country, as Ling says, she moves when she's 14 years old, life had just kind of begun, and she had her friends, and she had her routines, and then all of a sudden her family says, we're going to move, we're going to move from the Philippines to Canada, we're going to set up shop in London, Ontario, and in order to get involved in this community and see what it had to offer, Ling says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to volunteer and she's helping out four organizations with this fundraiser that she has put together for her own birthday.
0: You've been listening to the London Live podcast.
3: Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.